Church of Christ presents The Bread of Welcome, the sermon by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, September 1st, 2019. I'm wondering how many of you have ever been in a social situation where you felt completely out of your depth? Not only out of your depth, but pretty sure that every single other person in the room felt completely at ease like they had read a memo that gave them all the secret rules of how things should go, and you were not given that memo. I'm pretty sure if you've ever been to middle school, you know what I'm talking about, if you've had to go into that cafeteria. I've got a treasure trove of similar memories, not so much from middle school. I had a very cool older brother, and he and I both played sports, so I was a little bit inoculated. But I couldn't follow my brother around for the whole of my life. Between college and seminary, I spent about a year and a half working as a paralegal at a large, illustrious Philadelphia law firm, trying to decide if law law might be the right path for me. Obviously not. Now, a paralegal occupies a funny place in that very hierarchical world of a corporate-sized law firm. You're not quite support staff, neither are you lawyers. It was made quite clear to me by my fellow paralegals that we were professional staff and we should have our lunch in the executive dining room along with the attorneys. The regular lunch room was for the staff, support staff. We were better than that. I got this information from the paralegal whom I had been hired to assist. She was a generation and a half older than me, had gone back to college once the youngest of her five children had gone to school, and was fiercely proud of her job. I, being 21 and somewhat callow, rather snobbishly thought of being a paralegal as a way station between college and whatever form of graduate school I would eventually choose. But I trusted her implicitly. After all, she'd been there 25 years. So when she told me that I belonged in the executive dining room, I believed her. And when she got called to a meeting at noon on my first day and shooed me in the direction of that lunchroom, I went. Now, let me just stipulate that the firm for which I worked was not, in fact, a middle school. No one made rude noises or tossed an empty milk carton or upended a chair in my path. But the polite coldness with which people looked up and then immediately looked away again, back to their interesting and important conversations with interesting and important people, felt like someone had thrown things and upended a chair in my path. And let me stipulate again, these really were very interesting and important people. And I knew that I was neither. I was full of shame for having walked in that door, so full of confidence, like I belonged. I found a table in the corner and pulled out a book. 
When I was almost finished, an older gentleman took pity on me and came and sat with me for a few minutes and talked quietly. His name was Jerry. And then he walked with me to the door. What had seemed like a quarter mile of a walk was really just a few steps away when I had someone beside me. It was many, many months before I realized that I had been rescued from my embarrassing isolation by one of the big corner office name partners of the firm. Thank God I didn't know it at the time. I would probably have spilled my own drink. I would like to pretend that I became very brave after that day and ate regularly in the executive dining room and became part of the community. But that would be a lie. I left the building to eat. My coworker, the 25-year veteran of the firm, may have felt a sense of belonging in that room because she was older, wiser, and indeed more interesting than I, and also much more important to the running of the firm. She knew her worth, and she wasn't going to let some just-out-of-law-school junior associate, not even on track for partner, intimidate her. The world of that law firm, which was so confusing to me when I entered, and the world in which Jesus went to dinner with the Pharisees are not that far removed from each other. In both situations, power was determined by social location and wealth. Offering and receiving hospitality were done as part of a web of reciprocal relationships in an economy of shame and honor. In Jesus' time, a wealthy, influential person might host a dinner party and invite several different types of people. Those to whom he owed honor, those with whom he wished to make some sort of business deal, and those who were a bit beneath him economically, who could not repay his hospitality with equal lavishness, but could offer him respect and very public praise. The seat closest to the host was, of course, the seat of greatest honor, reserved for the most elevated of guests. The host in today's story from the Gospel should have been in charge of determining who sat how high. He should have had the place cards all ready and at the table. But somehow, on this particular day, the guests were jockeying openly pushing other people aside in their eagerness to sit up close to the top of the table and to be considered honored and important. I imagine Jesus there, this same Jesus who dined with tax collectors and other low-down types of people, the Jesus who ate with just ordinary, middling, middle-of-the-road kinds of people. I imagine him watching all this jockeying with a twinkle in his eye and then leaning in to repeat some wisdom from the book of Proverbs. When you are invited to dine with the fancy people who are above you in power and social standing, hang back. Don't rush right up to the place of honor and plunk yourself down and begin to preen as if you belonged there. Your host might just burst in on you and send you down to the worst seat in the house, the place that gets served last so the vegetable platter is cold by the time it gets to you. The place where you can't quite hear the conversation at the head of the table, and you certainly can't make any contribution to it. You can't get noticed for your sparkling wit and repartee. 
there goes your chance to solidify relations with your host. No, Jesus said, you take your place in the lowest seat. Be humble and grateful. And when your host comes in, he might spot your behavior and reward your humility by inviting you up higher. Jesus was quoting a portion of Proverbs that is actually a handbook for young men who are making their way to court to serve for the first time, men of little or no consequence. And it's all a bit of a mind game, really. Act low so you'll be lifted up high. It sounds spiritual, but also manipulative. But Jesus adds something more. He turned to the host and he said, When you give a party, don't invite the people to whom you are already connected, your friends and your relatives. Don't invite your rich neighbors who will honor you with a return invitation. Instead, invite the ones who won't be able to repay you. Poor folks, people whose disabilities keep them from working, people to whom you simply give without entering into the dance of honor and shame you will be blessed. All unbeknownst to me in that long ago executive dining room, that big corner office name partner of the firm, did exactly what Jesus taught. He didn't call me over to sit beside him, which would have been an honor but also mortifying. Instead, he left his table altogether and came down to the lowest corner of the room and made me, the least important person in the room, feel welcomed and human, and he restored my sense of humor. Like most stories, and certainly like all the stories of Jesus, this one has many levels of meaning. Certainly it means be humble, be generous, but it means more. It means make sure that everyone is fed. To do that, make your generosity real generosity, not just a way to cement relations either with people you already like and love, or with the important people you hope to impress, or even with the slightly less important people you hope will repay you by being indebted to you and owe you honor and respect and and will voice your praise in the community. No, Jesus says, share your food with everyone and host those who cannot repay you. That way you'll be blessed You'll belong to that great welcome table of the realm of God because you will have been practicing it all along. This language of welcome to the banqueting table is so lovely to me. It's so evocative and comforting. I can almost smell the bread. When I think of that great banqueting table of the realm of God, I think of my ancestors waiting. I think of all the people across time and place who belong to the table of God. But this admonition, which sounds so lovely, is so hard to practice. It's hard to know how to begin. It's hard to know, hard to see the unwelcome that some people feel and are experiencing all around us all the time. It's hard to see what we ourselves are not experiencing. Most of the time, we don't even notice that we are swimming in a sea of privilege, 
set up for us by a culture and a political system that we didn't create. The late David Foster Wallace <clears throat> put it this way in a commence commencement speech at Kenyon College. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually, one of them looks over at the other and says, what the hell is water? The most obvious, ubiquitous, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see, much less talk about. Jesus, dining with high and low and using the dining practices of the day as an illustration, points to the water of privilege and says, this is not the kingdom. This is not life-giving. Set a new table. Create a new world. Upend the system of power and exclusion. This admonition and invitation is for us as individuals in our private lives, in the way that we conduct ourselves in the world. And it sounds sweet, and it's really hard. And it's for us as a congregation, in the way that we welcome new people, in the way that we live in our community, in the way that we talk about ourselves in the world. And it's for all of us as a larger community. It is the work of a lifetime to see what we have been doing up till now. And it is the work of a lifetime to begin to do something joyful and life-giving and new. We are called not only to count our blessings, but to be blessing. If we want to belong to the realm of God, we will have no choice but to share it. Where some people are fed and others are not, the kingdom is not present. Where some people have access to health care and some do not, the kingdom is not present. Where some people can rely on the police to protect them and others cannot, the kingdom is not present. We can disagree about the best way of living into the kingdom, of inviting and creating the kingdom. But what we cannot do is pretend that Jesus wants us to keep playing by the old rules of power and prestige, where some are welcome and some shut out, some fed and some hungry. As we come to our own welcome table to remember again the night of Jesus' betrayal and death, and that last meal that he had with his friends, may it strengthen us to widen our vision and to widen our welcome to the table. The tables in our own homes, the table here at our church. And may it strengthen us to make demands of our civic and political leaders that the table of our community life is welcoming to all. Amen.